the value of investments can fall as well as rise, and losses may be made. I received a piece of work from the desk of Ian Cunningham, Portfolio Manager at 91 in London, the title of which was Macroscope. The Chinese have pivoted and no one else has noticed. It goes on to say the following. Portfolio Manager Ian Cunningham discusses how it is time to look through the negative Chinese growth surprises and take advantage of depressed valuations. Ian is with me now. Ian, has China gone under the radar because while it's initiating new reforms that are actually expansionary and increasing liquidity, while the West is doing exactly the opposite, tightening and reducing liquidity. Is that why people have ignored it? Yeah, I mean, I think there's obviously a lot going on in markets at the moment. I think think one of the things that's always underestimated in China is because it's a command economy and because they sort of plan growth on a a longer-term horizon, but they also focus on sort of a calendar year basis as well. They have different policies coming into a new year, and obviously coming into 2021, those policies were far more negative, but obviously the market didn't really notice for a period of sort of three to six months until they actually start to take effect on the economy and on on asset markets. Um, And similar things happened in December, so they basically told everyone what they're planning on doing through this year, and a lot of those things are now starting to come through, but they probably won't really affect markets and the economy for another sort of three to to six months. So there there won't be much evidence sort of showing up in terms of the actual impact until we move into sort of the second and and third quarter of this year, which is when the market should, in effect, begin to to notice. Is it a dangerous antithesis, as I said? is, Is it dangerous that one giant economy and another giant economy are doing different things? It's almost like a high pressure system and a low pressure system in meteorology come together. Inevitably, there's disruption. What do you think? Well, I think if you think about it in the context of last year, we sort of had the opposite of what's going to happen this year. So in the developed world, you had very aggressive stimulative policies being kept in place to sort of help households and businesses weather the the pandemic. So Federal Reserve kept interest rates near zero, ECB kept rates negative, and both central banks printed a lot of money. So that was obviously very stimulative for the economy and for asset markets, whilst last year China was was doing the opposite. They were running down the credit cycle, introducing macro-potential measures across the housing market, across property developers, and also conducting that broad regulatory reset that everyone now now knows about, sort of antitrust and broader regulations. Now, if we look this year, the opposite is going to happen. So the Fed, ECB, other central banks around the world are going to have to move to tighten policy very quickly uh, because inflation is sort of ahead of them and they're notably behind the economic curve. Whilst in China, we're obviously seeing policy ease. So so in effect, whilst last year was negative for, for Asian asset markets and Chinese in particular, it was very bullish for the S&P and European markets, we think there's a chance that you see somewhat of the opposite. So we see downward pressure on risk markets in the developed world and potentially some upward pressure or tailwinds on, on Asian markets. And obviously that can cause a decent amount of volatility, as you rightly say. Just let's go back a step if we can. and You could give us a backdrop of what the situation, the macroeconomic situation in China is at the moment when it comes to GDP, when it comes to industrial production, when it comes to the property sector, money supply, that sort of thing. Just briefly paint that picture, if you would. Sure. So the, the Chinese economy held up pretty well through the first half of last year, whilst there was quite major tightening taking place. And it began to soften in some areas through the third quarter and then it was the fourth quarter where you sort of sort of see more evidence of weakness particularly across the the housing market and the impact that's having on sort of uh broader property developers and the, the troubles there as well as the regulations that have been placed upon them that data is likely to remain quite weak um as we move through the first quarter of this year um probably into the second quarter of next year because obviously policies have a lagged effect on the real economy 
But we think as we move into the second half of this year, there is a reasonable chance that the increasing levels of stimulus that Chinese authorities are pushing through, ultimately to achieve economic stability and achieve their growth targets this year, that should allow the economy to then look somewhat healthier in the, in the second half of, of this year. You say in November last year, the People's Bank of China's third quarter monetary policy deleted three key phrases that were in prior reports. The valve of money supply will be properly controlled. Number two, refraining from adopting indiscriminate credit stimulus measures. Number three, maintaining implementing normal monetary policy. The removal of these hawkish statements opened the door for easing in 2022. So they're nothing if not flexible, Ian. I think it certainly contrasts to last year and the back end of 2020 as well, to be honest, because the Chinese were very sort of persistent in in focusing on more orthodox monetary policy and not overstimulating the economy whilst that was happening elsewhere in the world. And obviously, as things have, have begun to slow down, they will, they will use their flexibility to, to basically allow them to to, to to adjust policy and move towards easing. So the, the removal of those three the, those three statements is, is quite key because that that ultimately refers to the fact that they they will be pushing more credit into the economy into different areas to, to support it. They will be allowing money supply growth to to, to improve somewhat, and they will adopt. Um, methods within monetary policy that, that sort of give them flexibility. So if they need to, they can use some more sort of unconventional related measures like they have done in the past. Then they say the phrase was used, stability is the top priority. Obviously, they saw what was happening, for example, I mean, it's very, very high profile, but I'll use it as the example anyway, the almost cavalier investment in the property sector. And so not the Wild West, but it was almost becoming the Wild East. And then they clamped down on that. Have they been effective since that statement was made? So everything they've been doing in the property sector, we think ultimately makes sense. So that has been identified as an imbalance within the economy, a longer term financial stability risk. And obviously, if you just allow property developers to do what they've been doing unchecked, continue to take on sort of not only sort of actual debt, but also considerable amounts of liabilities linked to other companies as well in terms of different accounts receivable and the and the like and accounts payable uh, the expansion of those different things across that sector was was increasing broad uh, leverage and, and liabilities in general and so what we don't think is going to happen is they're not just going to allow property developers to go back to the races because they don't want to reintroduce that that moral hazard back into the system but that sort of that focus on when you think last year their headline was that 2021 was effectively a, a year or a window of opportunity to address structural imbalances that means that they were going to do things to sort of weaken economic growth and and sort of address those issues and then this year being stability as the top priority as you say that that means that they will will stimulate as much as they need to to achieve their growth target and to achieve stability now now that's probably going to require quite a lot of stimulus given that growth is expected to continue to weaken through the next couple of quarters Finally, you say, well, not finally you say, but finally they say the Central Economic Work Conference, an annual meeting which sets the national agenda for the economy, highlighted the need for conventional fiscal and monetary easing while praising the positive role played by capital in the economy. Is it the case? I mean, it's no longer an adolescent economy. It's in its 20s, maybe even 30s now. But as it gets a little bit older, it has to adjust its policy because it is so large and because it's learned its lessons from the past. Have they learned? I think the Chinese authorities have. So there was a stark change in 2016 where they moved away from 
just kind of stimulating aggregate demand constantly through kind of expanding leverage across the economy and then move towards supply side structural reform. Uh, those were, were big changes and, and they have identified a number of imbalances. So aggregate leverage, uh, the, the housing market and broad property sector, these are, are two big imbalances that they want to address over the next sort of 20 to 30 years. They don't just want to address them uh, within the next year or so uh, because that would cause sort of dire economic consequences, but they want to address them over the over the very long term and they will, will adjust their policy as that, that works. And I think one of the main things that you highlighted there is everything around the comments last year on sort of curbing the disorderly expansion of capital and, and anti-monopoly, all of that sort of they view that as being in the longer term interest of competitiveness within their economy. And obviously for asset markets, that, that really hurt the share price performance of many companies within Asia last year. The fact that they're now sort of appraising the positive role played by capital within the economy should relieve some of the headwinds off of off of those, some of those larger companies in particular that have been, been facing regulatory issues um, and that should allow their shares to to perform um, somewhat better this year relative to last year in our view. In my introduction I highlighted your opening sentence which ended with take advantage of depressed valuations. How is your strategy at 91 doing so and which asset classes are depressed in your view and that you ones that you're looking at keenly? Mm -hmm. So in particular, Chinese and some area, other areas within Asian equities have obviously derated quite significantly. So there are many very good companies that are growing at sort of quite strong rates that we can buy at, at very cheap valuations. So companies that are growing anywhere between sort of 20 and 40 percent per annum in terms of revenue and earnings, we can buy those companies from high single figure PEs to, to, to high teens PEs, uh, which is quite different compared to other parts of the other parts of the world. So select equities and also we've taken some exposure to, to Asian high yield markets as well on a, on a broad basis because we don't want to get too specific because um, of some of the, the moral hazard associated with sort of authorities and specific companies and, and who uh, which property developers may or may not be, be let go. So specific with an equity and then a bit more broad based on, on high yield. And we've been, been making that shift in portfolios through late December and, and also through the beginning of this year. Ian, thanks very much for your analysis. That's Ian Cunningham, Portfolio Manager at 91 in London. This podcast is a marketing communication and is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. In South Africa, 91 is an authorised financial services provider.